0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Through the Mic. Welcome, welcome to the very <laughs> first episode. You're listening to History. <laughs> oh, we got a good one today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are your hosts. My name is Malcolm Callender. And I'm Will Aaron Freund. Right. And we created Through the Mic, just for a little brief history. Because of COVID-19, we had so many artists who were out of work, who, not to mention who We were probably already out of work before this pandemic started. So they were stripped of, you know, the outlet to create and perform and to share with a room full of other people. So Will and I created this podcast to ignite that flame that so many people probably lost because we were expected to stay in home, in our homes and whatnot. So we created Through Mike to give artists a a platform where they can showcase their work and talk about the very thing that makes them, them. And like Will said, today we have an amazing guest I met through social media. We have an up-and-coming playwright who is now studying, or now graduating, I would say, from Columbia University uh, Graduate School. Please welcome with open ears, Miss Kristen. Spencer, Hello. welcome.
1: Hello, welcome, 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 happy to be here. <laughs>
0: yes, 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 we are happy that you're here too. <laughs> so um, we're just going to start for people who may not know you, just a little bit of about yourself, how you got into playwright, how you found Columbia, and how you use your craft to deliver messages that you're passionate about.
1: Okay. Um. That's a large question. Yeah. Where did you there's grow so up? So many. Mm. Uh, yeah. Let's start. Okay. There. Yeah. I grew up in Valley Stream, Long Island. Okay. Um, oh wow. I'm the oldest of just two siblings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shout out to Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we. It's a four family home. Mm-hmm. Uh. Well, not four family. Sorry. Four member mm-hmm. family home. So there's only four of us. Right. Um. Yeah. I went to high school in Valley Stream. Middle school, elementary, all of the above. And then I ended up going to Stony Brook University for my undergrad. And I went in actually as a journalism major Mm. because I knew that I wanted to kind of be in broadcast journalism. I was very into television at the time um, and also writing. And I was figuring out uh, that that medium would probably give me the best of all the things that I love. Mm -hmm. But getting to Stony Brook, I and even before that, Let me start from the beginning of theater, too, Mm -hmm. because it all intertwines. (laughs) Um, I grew up in church, and through church, I did drama. And so drama in church for me was kind of the only way that I could express myself spiritually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it taught me how to pray. It taught me how to speak. It taught me how to carry myself. um, And so that kind of translated through my work now. But before that, going into Stony Brook as a journalism major, I had never taken a professional um acting class, had never taken a professional theater course from a school or anything like that. It was just us at church being kids and – Having fun. Probably. Having fun, portraying a story. And anyone from Shekinah Youth Drama Ministry that's listening, <laughs> they will tell you as well that we did some crazy things. We had smoke machines and all kinds of stuff, just really like high production quality. Yeah. for <laughs> church production. <laughs> um, but yeah, getting to Stony Brook, I figured out about spring semester that I wasn't really happy with what I was doing. The news was very depressing. There was a lot going on that I didn't really feel like writing about or feel like focusing on. And so Mm. I actually took a drama class, a theater class, just intro basics, just to have an elective. But I didn't realize that that class would reignite something in me and say, oh, yeah, this is what you've been missing this whole time. And being away from home, I didn't have a church out at Stony Brook, didn't have a church family to kind of lean on or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And so it made me feel the closest to who I was prior to getting there right, and I was like oh this is this makes a lot of sense and then I just switched my major immediately and I did I actually did not miss any time or waste any time good, yeah, because I did it in my first year and I was able to get a journalism minor out of all of the credits that I had taken so I did a theater major a journalism minor that was already completed and then I ended up adding a business minor to that as well um and all of the above worked out pretty well. I graduated mm. in four. <laughs> <laughs> Shout Thank out God. to graduating yeah. in four. Because yeah. <laughs> um,
0: honestly, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. But it was, it was a really great time. Mm.
0: Would you say that growing up in the church gave you your sense of play or like experimenting when it yes. comes to your writing now? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, growing up in church, I was in addition to being in drama, I was also in dance. Okay. And so rhythmic work, um, work that explores spirituality, Mm -hmm. work that explores generational storytelling, all of those things were things that we were already doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we would be doing performances for homeless shelters. We would be doing performances for like men's ministry and things like that. Um, And all of those plays that we did were fine tailored to those people Mm -hmm. for that time. And yeah, I mean, what seven-year-olds do you know talking about teenage pregnancy? Mm. Like, these are the things that you want to talk about in church, but nobody, no adults want to tell you mm. that this is real life. They also might not
0: know how to tell you exactly. at such a young age. Right? Exactly.
1: So it was really enlightening and it taught me a lot about mm-hmm. who I am as a writer and is definitely rooted in everything I write. Um doesn't necessarily have to be a Jesus play. I don't like those. (laughs) Not a lot of the content that we were doing Mm -hmm. is stuff that I'm remotely interested in doing now, but the root of it in that ancestral, spiritual, other plane is definitely in all of my things. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: and I I really felt that in your play, Dutch Kings. Um, Before we start talking about the
0: play for a second, I just want to point out, you said... When you first started at Stony Brook, you said you were upset based off of what was happening in the news Mm -hmm. and how that affected what you were studying. So it really is a powerful thing with artists. We are a reflection of what's happening in the world. So Mm -hmm. when we are going through a pandemic, when we are going through racial injustice Mm -hmm. or societal injustice, Yeah. We are always asking ourselves, how can we mm-hmm. use this to, mm-hmm. how can we How can we make, use what we know into making it a better environment? Because I know Toni Morrison has a quote where, I'm going to paraphrase this, but mm-hmm. she says, in times of darkness, that's when the artist gets to work. Absolutely. So it's just amazing how we always need to have the survival instinct almost of, yes, things are down, mm-hmm. but what can we do? to bring things back up. And like what you said, we saw that in Dutch Kings. Mm -hmm.
2: So why playwriting? How did you... uh,
1: So that is a good question. From journalism to playwriting, yeah, yeah. Specifically Columbia, too. There's journalism. And then I went into theater. And Mm -hmm. Stony Brook's theater program, which is now extinct, sadly. um, I was the last graduating class with a theater major. But while it was up and running, it's a full-blown... Theater program. So you're not just getting one track. You don't do one track. There's no such thing as an acting track. There's no such thing as a stage managing track right, or anything like right. that. So I was learning everything at one time. Mm-hmm. And I actually started out in stagecraft. That's where my first love was. I was building sets, I was wow. designing sets, I was literally doing so many illegal things in the basement of Stony Brook's places. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) Because who's trying to give power tools to an undergrad unsupervised? But we did it and we made it work. Um, The first set that I built was for American Idiot And it was so much fun. (laughs) So much fun. Um, And we just just had a great time. And so while I was doing stagecraft and doing design stuff, I ended up taking a playwriting class. And it was the most wonderful thing that could have ever happened because Mm. it allowed me to express myself in the ways that I loved about journalism originally. And to top it off, I had been... Writing poetry up until then, I was always chronicling my life in several mm-hmm. journals. You can ask my mother, I have volumes upon volumes of my life starting from seventh grade in my room. Right. And it's documenting your personal history that really drew me to it. And then I just started writing, and it, it never stopped. <laughs> I was doing that. I actually directed a few things, which was fun. Cool. Um, but I I got that full-blown experience, and I actually think that I'm incredibly grateful for that because being a writer requires you to be everyone in the room at the same time. You have to know how to write for a director. You have to know how to write for an actor. Um, you have to know how to write for a set designer. So it's – All of those things on one playing field, which I really enjoy. And I also kind of like being the secret puppeteer in the room because even if my play is getting produced in, I don't know, Iowa or Idaho or whatever. Like you're not going to Idaho. Like (laughs) Like you're not going to. Probably not. (laughs) You're not going to be there. But the thing is, is like my vision, or even if you see it through your own lens, it's still mine. Mm, So (laughs) that's what I love.
0: And as an actor, as actors, reading your play, I loved that. I oh yeah, love... I saw it all mm-hmm. it's so specific our mm-hmm. former voice teacher had a term called like a bossy playwright mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I I didn't want to like say you were <laughs> no
1: I am I, I'll own that title <laughs> and, and,
0: and,
2: and just for our mm-hmm. listeners she has a really cool stage direction where yeah. it's like you gotta have a dope choreographer for this uh-huh. moment <laughs> like you have to have a dope choreographer yeah. or, or or
0: yeah and I also wrote down another one. <laughs> She's so cool this <laughs> is so there's a scene where Ishmael Kenny brian they're all socializing yeah. we're gonna get into all the characters later on in the episode, but she has a stage direction where she says, "This is the language of brothers." Right. And as like a writer myself, mm-hmm. clearly not on the same level as you, but as a poet writing mm-hmm. for many years, it's just so
2: warm. Like something like that is so warm to yeah, hear. Yeah, because we all as have a reader a, and an actor, and just as a human with a group of friends, yeah, we mm-hmm. all have our you languages. Know like, you know with, what
0: that? You know what that feels like? Yeah. And the thing about acting, I'll say, is. As an actor first, it was amazing to read because, one, this was... I've been reading plays. I've been seeing plays for the past mm-hmm. six months. But since we're doing this for the podcast, it, it felt different. My approach yeah. to reading the play felt different. And yeah. it made me reconnect with why I love acting so mm-hmm. much. And I'll say this. As an actor, um, when you pick up a play, where people play a game, the play's the game. And mm-hmm. of the playwright, you... They're giving us the rules of that game. Mm -hmm. We don't don't mind what the rules are. We just want to play. So it was amazing for me to read and be like, okay, that's what the feel of this is. Even with your music. Like we're going to get into like your sense of music, your sense of Mm -hmm. colors and even the sets. Um, It was really, I I felt protected and, and safe.
2: while reading while going on this journey because there was a clear form there Mm -hmm. but there was a ton of room to play within that form right yeah Yeah, yeah, and really bring your unique human experience as an actor Mm -hmm. into those roles
0: yeah so so let's get into it so you start your playoff with a quote by james baldwin yes and like i said whenever i write i always try to look for someone or something bigger than me to start telling my story. So mm-hmm. I'll say, what's your connection with James Baldwin or how is he and other writers mm-hmm. like Nick Giovanni mm-hmm. um, or different artists, how do they help you tell your story in
1: 2020? Um, I'm a firm believer that there are no new stories. There's no new stories. Mm-hmm. There's never going to be a, another fresh take on anything, <laughs> history continues to repeat itself Sadly, yeah. always and always and always and recycles itself over and over again. I've been talking to my mom a lot about how these times feel very biblical right now, what we're going through as a, as a country, as a world. Um, these are the times of our locusts. <laughs> and so right now, when I think about writers that I draw from or I pull from, I think that We are a part of a very unique family of people who speak body language. And so because of that, there's always going to be something to draw from, even by your energy in a room. Our art form is very much in body. And when you read something and you have a visceral reaction to it, and it's like, okay, Let's unpack that reaction. Let's see why I feel this way or what that feeling even is. And then trying to express that again is what the new is, mm-hmm. right? And so James Baldwin is one of those writers for me that anything that I read, whether it be an article in The New Yorker that he wrote or a novel or a play or a this or a that, um... Everything that I've read from James Baldwin is something that has either inspired or informed indirectly something that I did. Every time. (laughs) Every single time. And it's that, I would say that happens to me with James Baldwin, definitely Amiri Baraka. Um, For sure, Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou. Those are kind of my big four, I would say. But I have even read quotes by my grandmother that I've written down Mm -hmm. randomly on post-its because it just sounded interesting. Mm -hmm. And that too has made it into my work as well. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a very long-winded response to just say that I think we would not be good artists if we did not learn from other artists and did not steal from other artists. I say steal lightheartedly, not necessarily copy, but um, we're all poaching from each other anyway. Mm. (laughs)
0: <laughs> like there's no way. So let's say if I am in one of your plays, yeah. there's you're, you're you're a goof if as an artist you don't take notes of other people's exactly. craft and try to learn something from yeah, that. not just straight up yeah. Like okay, I'm like watch my next play <laughs> be right. called something. Right. Yours
1: I mean, like it's that. so interesting. While Dutch Kings was getting written, mm-hmm. um, Katori Hall's Hot Wing King was going up, and. It was so interesting because my friends were like, did you get the name from Hot Wing King? I said, no, not at all. But it's funny how even in just like the randomness of it, I still felt, yeah, this is a play with all black men. My play is a play with all black men. And we still decided to use that same word of King. Mm. And that to me was like... Oh, that's interesting. I don't know anything about Hot Wing King yet, but I'm going to see that because I know that in some way it's going to inform what I'm doing. Right? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: and you know yeah. what I think it is. I think it's um, <laughs> it's more of a thing about feeling than yeah. actual straight up. Okay, this and that sounds familiar because we see that with music. Yeah, you know, for um, sure. one of my two favorite songs is Overnight Celebrity by mm-hmm. Twista and Kanye West. Yes, but also. Because I Love You. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh no. I literally listened to the song this morning. I forgetting. <laughs> by, um, okay, I'll look it up. But yeah. it's the fact that, so those two songs are probably 20 years apart. Yep. And Kanye West heard that song and said, mm-hmm. okay, I want this sample in my song. Two completely different yep. stories, but it's the feeling that it mm-hmm. gives you. So I feel like when, if I'm seeing a play that, okay, these two plays may sound familiar, mm-hmm. it's because they, they deliver the same feeling
1: to yep. you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll find that song later. Okay. But... Mm-hmm. So, talk a little bit about what Dutch Kings is about.
1: Mm-hmm. Ooh, yes. This is going. I'm gonna try to make my mentors proud. I'm never good <laughs> at it. describing my place.
2: Right, right. It's um, tricky.
1: Yeah, Dutch Kings. Dutch Kings was born out of my experience working at the National Black Theater in Harlem for a summer. And I love the energy of Harlem. I love being in the chaos of Harlem, specifically 125th Street. Of course. It is a circus down there, but it's a circus of like human experience Mm -hmm. and um, the human condition, Mm -hmm. as we like to call it. And so the National Black Theater is stationed in an area where two blocks up, there's the police department Four blocks over the other way is a medical clinic, like a free clinic. Another couple blocks over is a heroin clinic. There's so many layers of human sacrifice on that same street. And I remember working on a play with them. I was production assistant for it. And um, there was this little boy running, like sprinting down the street. And we're watching him and we're like, what's going on? And then we just hear screaming coming. And it's this huge group of kids that are chasing this boy down the block. And I'm watching all of this happen and we're all getting worried. We're looking at each other like, what's going on? Where's the kid going? Why are these kids chasing him? All the red flags are happening. And then they catch up to him and they throw him onto the concrete. Face first. And one of the, like, I call them drama mamas, but all of the kind of adults on set kind of run over and pull this little boy out, get him out of the middle of people, and take him and say, where do you live? I'm calling your mother. I'm taking you home. And that's what started Dutch Kings. (laughs) Um, That experience of watching, watching a young boy running Mm. Um, and what are you running from and why are you running from it and what are the circumstances and would this have translated if this were a boy on Long Island would this have translated if this were a group of white kids would this have translated if we were in a completely different time period it's it's, when I start to think about that's how I start to build a play is the unpacking of the layers of all those things And uh, that's where Ishmael came from. And so Dutch Kings is about young black men. It's about young black boys and the difference between boys and men. It's about being afraid to the point where you start to react almost irrationally to your fear, but not understanding that your fear is a generational fear not understanding that the carrying of that is um, not necessarily your fault because these are still demons that someone else didn't deal with. And so they steeped you in that womb with all of that trauma. Mm -hmm. And now we're transferring it to another person and another group of people that have to live life and try to figure it out. Um, But Dutch King's Dutch Kings was for my dad mm-hmm. um and his friends. Trying to figure out the language of Dutch Kings was a process.
0: <laughs> what do you mean by the language exactly?
1: I mean that I'm a black woman.
0: Right. Oh, okay, I
1: see. What you're about. I know nothing about black men other than Young what I see. Black men, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about the the layers of black male relationships other than what I am told. And so when I'm writing from a space that's not mine or that I don't own, I try my best to do as much research as possible before I put words to paper. And so my father grew up with this group of guys. They still talk pretty much every other week. They're at my house all the time, playing games, watching football, blah, 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 living life. And I'm watching them and I look at the way that they interact with each other and it very much is always on like a (laughs) what (laughs) kind of level, (laughs) but it's all love, you know? And so I love the dichotomy of sitting down in a room full of men that have known each other for years and on one end, it's like, do y'all hate each other? (laughs) By the way that you speak to each, do y'all even like each Mm. other that much? Yeah. But then it's also the other half that's if we didn't love each other, then would we be talking to each other this way? So it's very... Yeah. it's Like a, you're so close
0: with one another. You're yeah. able to have those brutal arguments. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Mm. And sometimes even the jokes are brutal. Mm. Brutal and very truthful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what built this play. And then on a surface level... I love Double Dutch.
2: <laughs> you do? Cool. We, I, I absolutely yeah, love Double Dutch. That.
1: I grew up double Dutching. Um it was so much fun. And I mean, I live in a pretty diverse area of Long Island. And I would go around the block with all my girls, and we would just Dutch. Yeah. And it would be the middle of summer heat, and that would be our thing to do. And so, and I think it's something that also rappers draw from as well. Double Dutch nursery rhymes, Uh, things like patty cake and whatever. All that stuff comes from girls just sing-songing. So there's also a level of what happens to a woman when you take away her robes. You've taken away her culture, you've taken away her fun, and what falls on you as a black man when that happens. So... I said a lot. I apologize, people, if you don't know what the play is about still. But um, it's it's all of those things. Yeah. The,
0: the reason why I loved your play so much was because it reminded me of the two artists that I hold dear in my heart. Kadir Nelson
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Ernie Barnes. Now, yeah. for anybody who's listening who may not know those two artists, Kadir Nelson, you might know his work because of social media and whatnot, but he designed... Drake's nothing was the same album mm-hmm. that that cover of yep. the of him as a man and him as a child that was Kadir Nelson's work and Ernie Barnes is uh, he was a I believe he was a football player but turned actor and whatnot mm-hmm. and the reason why Dutch Kings reminded me of those two men were they sh- they strove to make art of African Americans. Living life, mm-hmm. just enjoying life, not being oppressed, not fighting for equality, mm-hmm. but being in their areas, in their mm. neighborhoods, at a bar there um I believe it's Kadir Nelson who has a photograph or a painting of a young boy just eating a popsicle like that's it, yeah, just mm. just eating a popsicle and mm. i I think as a young African American man you are taught, but also you're just born with this sense of, I need to go out and get it. Mm -hmm. I need to wake up early in the morning and go to sleep late at night, but throughout my day, I need to get it, whatever Mm -hmm. that means. So it was refreshing to see, and nostalgic to Mm -hmm. a certain point, to see and be reminded of what it means to just smile and laugh as a Mm -hmm. young boy. Now, even though us three know that <laughs> things take a turn for not so good mm-hmm. towards the end of the play. But like what you said with your father yeah. and his friends, there is an overall sense of love. Yeah. And they wouldn't – these four young men wouldn't be talking to each other and treating each other the way they are if it wasn't for that mm-hmm. community and brotherly bond that they share. And it was so clear. I keep yeah. on – I feel like I'm like kissing not up.
2: The- <laughs> The purest form of love is truth. And yeah, sometimes yeah. the truth is brutal.
1: It's very brutal. Uh-huh.
2: But your brother deserves the truth always. Yeah. And I felt that in Dutch Kings. Uh, thank you. Uh-huh.
0: There are a lot of themes, a lot of topics. Yeah. Quite a bit. For <laughs> specifically for black culture. And a couple of those I jotted down were hood years. Yeah. Uh the idea of when you are brought up in a low-income area with mm-hmm. poor education, yep. over-policing, who mm-hmm. police officers who may not look like you, mm-hmm. there's a sense of this thing called hood years, meaning mm-hmm. you are expected to be older than you actually mm-hmm. are, as an excuse, yep. I would say, as an excuse of all the bad stuff that has been happening to you. Yep, And mm-hmm. we see that in Dutch Kings with... Mm-hmm. There's an, Do you want to talk? I was wondering if you could yeah. talk about Kenny. Yeah, sure. And him leaving.
1: Yeah. So um, what ends up happening in the play is that Kenny and Brian experience uh, trauma. Um, their father is shot down in the middle of the street at night because some guy thought that he was breaking into his car. And... Even before that, they grew up in a house of trauma Mm -hmm. with their father beating their mother. Mm -hmm. And so Kenny and Brian end up moving uptown because, or their mother ends up moving them uptown because of all of the things that have taken place over the years. It's time to go. (laughs) It's time to get out of here. this takes place
2: in downtown Manhattan? Not
1: necessarily. So that's a thing, too. I was wondering. Spatially, this is anywhere, everywhere. Cool, cool. Um, Time-wise, everywhere, anywhere. In my head, I tried placing it, but there's so many. And that's the fluidity of the generational storytelling as well is that this could be my father in his teenage years and this could also be my cousins that are growing up right now. And so that's kind of where it lies.
0: I was going to say we are intelligent enough now to, when Mm -hmm. we read a play like this, we don't need the time and place. I was thinking of The Dutchman by Amiri Baraka and I believe the only setting it says at the beginning of the play is a subway. subway. (laughs)
1: Yep. <laughs> That's yeah. all
0: we need. Yep. So yeah, yeah. So I'll yeah. let you continue.
1: But um yeah, Kenny Kenny is a strong one. He's he's an interesting cat. <laughs> he is hard headed. He is afraid. Um, he's hard headed because he's afraid. He is the epitome of anger most of the time. And he's angry because of the feeling non-protected. I mean, when you back someone into a corner, the only reaction there is is to thrash out mm-hmm. or crumble. Brian crumbled. Kenny lashed out. So that's kind of the dynamic with Kenny. And I do think that he has... I don't think that it's because there's no good in him. I don't think that there's like a level of him that's not... um loving or caring or anything like that but i think his innocence got taken away so so early in comparison to the rest of the boys in a very visceral way um that being the man of the house all he had up until his father died was a representation of a man beating a woman right Mm. that's it and you cut that Lesson those lessons off at a certain age, your dad is gone, and now who has to take up the reins? Not saying that Kenny is an abuser of women, but I'm saying that Kenny is only taught that love comes in your fists. So
0: that is voices. Yeah, I'm, I was really pleased to hear someone telling Kenny's story because it brought the whole idea of. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, I learned from entertainment Mm -hmm. and whatnot that, especially if you're African American, there's this idea of making it, like, Mm -hmm. like making it. And... That implies moving to Mm -hmm. a nice neighborhood, big houses, fancy cars, Mm -hmm. white wife, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, a lot of kids, and many riches. And that's the idea of making it. And we see that with Kenny, in a way, and and his mother. Like, they left the hood. Yep. And that right there, it because for a while, I've been thinking this. Okay, so what if making it Mm -hmm. is... Staying in your community, mm-hmm. but using the knowledge mm-hmm. and wealth that you've gained into changing mm-hmm. the area you are then, yeah. that you are in. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because.
1: Yeah, the politics around gentrification and the way that it works is something that I studied a lot while writing this, and even while in rewrites and rewrites and rewrites. This is the version that you all read. Is actually the fifth draft of Mm -hmm. this play. I'm sure, yeah. The piece that went up at Columbia for my second year project was not this version, and so in constantly researching how the effects of bettering a neighborhood has an effect on the minds of the people that are there, Mm -hmm. um, even to like the distilled to the smallest thing like self value and self worth. Um, it really plays a role in all of the kind of insidious things that gentrification tends to do outside of the already obvious sweeping things that happen. Um, rent goes up, people have to move out, all this other stuff, getting kind of tighter knitted, um, black and brown communities that get forced out. But in general, I think that, uh, The idea of making it um, and staying in a community and trying to pour back into the community, I think what ends up happening is that when people get out of those spaces, they hold on tight to the knowledge that they've learned Mm -hmm. and say, you've got to learn it on your own because I did it. Yeah. And there's this very big disconnect of yeah. people. I mean, I was talking to, about this a lot during this quarantine. Um, just ideologies around finding mentorship, um, specifically as artists in our very tight-knit theater community. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's so difficult to find someone to talk to you sometimes about just how they did things or put it plainly, what opportunities did you get that I'm not aware of? Because there are conversations – be aware that there are conversations happening behind closed doors every Mm -hmm. day. Um, (laughs) Every day. (laughs) And that's why opportunities are skewed towards certain and Mm -hmm. and peoples. And so – finding ways to break down those barriers is very difficult and even just finding a mentor to say this is what i did is very difficult right so there's an idea in that Mm. that connects to this very strongly and that like if you can't share what you've gained then aren't you perpetuating the the cycle that is now affecting people who did not quote unquote Get it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Equal opportunity, equal access. I feel that's what the idea of gentrification should be, but it's not quite... It's not at all. ...doing that. When I I say equal opportunity, equal access, I mean you shouldn't have to travel. You shouldn't have to take a bus for an hour to go to a neighborhood with a good school. Yeah. You shouldn't have to, you know, live... In said neighborhood mm-hmm. where there's diverse policing, good education, a good and good street life. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to travel all these ways to a nice neighborhood mm-hmm. to get that life. That's why Kenny's story was so – it's it stood out for me because him leaving implied that he got a better life.
1: Yeah. But and, clearly that didn't happen. Yeah. Because <laughs> he came back downtown.
0: yeah. 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 I mean, I have so many
2: things. Um, <laughs> there, there are there are clear oh, references to, to yeah. pop culture and music. Yeah. in in the play, um, who inspires you right now? Who whose voice Ooh. made it into this play?
1: Tupac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Biggie. Yeah. Um, some J Cole. Which uh, J
2: Cole? Ooh,
1: you're funny. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to Born Sinner last uh-huh. week, and like you, you. Yes. 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 Yes.
1: yes. Um, yeah, J Cole. Um, there's there's a lot of people in here. I mean, there's some MC Light in here, Missy Elliott, Lil Kim. Everybody's in here, um, in this place specifically. But who is speaking to me right now? Yeah. In my thesis, I'm in a space of Jamila Woods, Tank and the Bangas, Sweet Honey and the Rock. Very like neo-soul, West African folk. That's where we're at currently in the writing that I'm doing now.
0: Because that's also the type of music you grew up listening to so
1: it's i grew up listening to everything
0: yeah how could you not everything you not?
1: my dad cool. is like i mean i was a rocker girl when i was young i listened to rock music i listened to alternative i listened to some jazz country ish yeah. uh, well country ish i
0: don't Country ish is always like a <laughs> yeah,
1: it's uh, like, mm, really it's like a little here a little, little there whatever yeah um a lot of r and B, a a lot of rap um very well well versed. Right. Well versed catalogue. <laughs>
0: yeah. Something I also want to bring up in your play. Yeah. Ishmael's monologue um following no. Ishmael's final monologue before the end of Act One. Yes. Where he brings up the idea of chains. Yes. And I'm not sure if you thought this, but when I was reading it, it reminded me of chains being a metaphor for black souls Mm -hmm. or the, the grit to keep on going. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I wrote part of that monologue randomly. Um, It was, this play had so many structural changes. Um, It really did. I mean, I didn't even think about adding monologues until months before my second year project went up. Um, It actually, the place started at the competition before.
0: With the freestyles? Yep, just with like
1: straight up um, freestyle and everything like that. But giving it more levity and giving it more life, um, it changed a lot. But I will say that the chains, me and my professor fought about this quite a bit. (laughs) Because she thought that I should keep the chains or the ropes it okay. couldn't be both because she thought that it, they were conflicting metaphors. I think that the chains and the ropes are necessary. Yeah. Because ropes can be broken, chains cannot. It's when you look at a swing set and the rubber snaps off whatever the chains stay linked to that structure. I don't know what it's called, the Mm. apparatus of Mm. the swing. But um, you'll never see a chain cracked. You have to do it by force. Um, But the thing is, when it's hanging there, it rusts. It gets rained on. The elements do what what they do. They corrode. Um, And so I think that – the chains for me was about the the link the link between me past present future the link between my mother my grandmother my great grandmother my great great grandmother um the link of all of the black men that i'm carrying in my body <laughs> just by me standing here you know um it's all of those things and i think what's so like beautifully sad about it is that as much as they might corrode or rust it takes a long time long for a chain to be weathered time. Long time for it to corrode, long time for it to fall off after corroding, even longer time to dissolve into the earth, even longer time to completely, like, um, I forget what the word is. I'm not a scientist. (laughs) But, um, you know, when as things break down Mm -hmm. over time, it takes a very, like, a millennium for a chain to break down fully. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really beautiful. And really um interesting because all things have to go back to the earth. But for whatever reason, the chains they they refuse. They refuse to be buried. Mm-hmm. And that might be a good or a bad thing.
0: Yeah, because we're looking at change in the context of your play, but yeah. the idea of something being so tightly put together. Yeah. And the work of deconstructing mm-hmm. that. You can put that with any, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think we're seeing anything. it today with COVID. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. I mean, all the structures or, uh, we knew. Or yeah. anything. Corroding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. your answer is so beautiful and it reminds me of saying like, in anything I do, I mm-hmm. always try to translate it and give it back to people younger than I am. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I turned 20 this past Thursday. Mm-hmm. So I'm always looking forward Looking towards, okay, how can I use my platform to give back to younger kids who mm-hmm. didn't have the same role models as me, Yeah, who don't have any education or street smarts of outside the neighborhood yeah. they are already in. So yeah. I'm asking you with Dutch Kings mm-hmm. and your metaphor for chains, mm-hmm. how can we begin to have these conversations uh, with younger people?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. what's interesting is that my my cousins came to see Dutch Kings. <laughs> How old are younger? they? Younger. They are younger than me. Right. Um, some of them are in their teenage years. One of them just, I believe, turned 20. Uh, God bless. But yeah. the, this, this was also the first play that they had ever seen from me. I don't necessarily invite my family to a lot of things, Mm -hmm. much to my father's (laughs) dismay. (laughs) Um, It's just a weird space, but we're not going to get into that today. Uh But in general, um, seeing them see themselves, seeing my older cousin come to me and say, I didn't think that I would ever see something that spoke to me where I'm at. Thank you for this. Mm -hmm. It was really a moment for me. And I think that in that, the conversations that need to be had about life, about real um, structural change, I think that we really need to stop trying to make the world seem... Like what it's not.
0: What we we have to stop trying to make the world what we wish it could be. Instead, exactly. what we need to talk about right now. Exactly. Yeah.
1: There, there's an urgency um, in conversation <laughs> that needs to be had, and these mm-hmm. are things that yeah. are happening in households every day. I'm sure about what's been going on, but I'm saying that there has to be some level of access um, to work in which people can see themselves. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that is necessarily available for everyone. Um I don't that and I don't think it's available in terms of like knowing about it being available. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not there. I think that if something is there and you don't know that the opportunity is there, you miss the opportunity to know what it- that thing is. And too often do I find that there are plenty of people that are in my life that have never been to the theater or have never been to see a production that wasn't Shakespeare or mm. see a production of Shakespeare that wasn't like, you know, there's like I said, there's that no wasn't new, school related. There's, or, no yeah. there's no new stories. There's no new stories. And so I I think that we have to do better <laughs> With our educational programs, we have to do way better with the way that we um, give uh, access to different materials and spaces. Because Yeah.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because it makes me think about how... Okay, I'm not sure if I'm the only one who thinks this. I'm pretty sure I'm not. But art is a necessity when it comes Absolutely. to education. Art is... When you think about all the ground plans, so you have your math, your science, your English, mm-hmm. but you also need art because it's your way of feeling, not mm-hmm. just intellectually thinking, but it's your way of communicating with people who don't think the same as you intellectually.
1: Yeah, it's very true. And I think that art art allows for all of those other things to exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of people don't really understand that. That yeah. like... I also see math as art. Mm. I also see science as art. I also see history as art. And then when we also get into the nitty gritty of what art is and what's valued versus what's not valued and what our syllabus is, what it's reflecting. Is it worldly syllabus? Is it really getting into the nitty gritty of certain areas? Like there's so many things to unpack. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, there's art, but what art do you have access to? What are you learning about? Because I know for a fact that I didn't start learning about myself until college. hmm Myself. As like me, as, it, as um, I fit into the fabric of theater and the fabric of theater history and what it means for my body to be in these spaces. And so that is not something that was taught to me until undergrad. Mm-hmm wasn't even something that I thought about until undergrad. Um, And I think that might be a problem, the fact that I wasn't thinking about that until I got to college. I mean, yeah, it's cool. College is a place that you learn about yourself probably the most. But how cool would it be to have kids learning about themselves from such an early age that by the time they get to college, it's no longer taboo to talk about race? Right.
0: There's something right. very. There's something very like. If a young person in class raises hand and mm-hmm. hears she said, "Oh, I want to talk about what's happening on the news." It's very easy for a teacher, whether it be elementary school, junior high, to be like, "Oh, like it's like it's like a deer in headlights. Like we don't we don't know how to talk about it, and therefore mm-hmm. it's wrong to talk about it." But I feel like this is only in America. I feel like if you go mm-hmm. to South Africa. With yeah. everything in their history, with Nelson Mandela and um genocides and apartheid, they set up a system where we were like, "Okay, we need to sit down. This is what happened. This is what needs to go forward." So now it's very mm-hmm. frontal, very face to face and say, "Yeah, like we're not they're not okay with what happened in the past, Mm-mm. but it's very we understand the history, and now we can do what we need to, ch- to change that. Yeah. And I think there's something very sensitive about the way things are in America right now. Mm-hmm. When it comes to going through the necessary plots of disg- bringing up
2: an important yeah. issue.
1: Absolutely.
2: And that's why I love playwriting. I love love writing Mm -hmm. how do you feel about censorship in the theater
1: Ooh, that's a good question yeah um i don't know i think censorship in what sense
2: um trigger warnings uh, yeah stuff getting cut out of material for Mm -hmm. certain audiences
1: yeah i mean i don't I don't know because like how confronting
2: it's really should challenging the theater when you're be? Asking the playwright that the one who's
1: yeah. making
2: the story—that's why I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, I don't,
1: I don't know. I can only speak for my comfortability. Yeah, mm-hmm. to- totally. But I will say that everything that I write is completely necessary to my play. Mm. That same thing could be argued for some crazy person trying to put like, some neo-Nazi whatever on stage right huh, now, huh, right? Yeah. Same thing. He could say the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's a he in my head. Forgive me. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm saying it's um, – they can say the same thing. Yeah. And that's scary yeah, to me. it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, ooh, I don't know. I really don't know. I think that it definitely should be discussed with the playwright. Um, I will say I would have enjoyed a trigger warning at the top of a soldier's play mm. when I went to see that um, in at Roundabout. Oh. Uh, the gunshots were ringing and right. I watched a black man get shot on stage twice in that play. There was no trigger warning and the shots were loud. And now... That's something that I would have enjoyed a trigger warning for, but I can't speak for anybody else. And it's it's a weird area. It's a weird yeah. area. Because
0: I know people who make the argument of, oh, this is the story we're telling. Yeah. So you and like people make the argument with the Holocaust. Whenever there's a story mm-hmm. about the Holocaust, like you are all you have to do is sit through it and hear it. These people had to live through it. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can't just assume that people are yeah. as st- strong as you to view these stories. Yeah. So-
1: <laughs> I think it it was just the wrong place, wrong time, too, because we had literally just seen so much of what had happened this year. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um in the news and media and all this stuff. And now I'm coming to the theater, a place that I'm supposed to feel the most free in my artistry and I'm watching the same thing. So it's it's hard to figure out. It's definitely hard to figure out. But I will say too that I think that as artists, we have an obligation to the world to take care of people that are coming to see what we are putting out. Um, Which is why, I mean... I'm going to say something unpopular. But I did not really enjoy Queen and Slim because of the fact that you have an all-black cast in a movie, in a film, beautifully written film, beautifully cast film. Cool. But black people go to the movies. (laughs) That's not a secret. That's not something that is like, that's backed up by numbers, by research, all this other stuff. If there's an all-black cast with a dope, as director, we're going to see the movie. Um, but yet, that film was not for us. And yet, it was trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma. And I didn't know what I was there for. And so, I think that if you know that you're going to be making most of your money off of the backs of the people that you're writing about, then you should be taking care of the people that you're writing about. Um, it's just a thing for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i don't want to put any trauma on stage without explanation and i don't want to put any trauma on stage without levity there has to be light and also dark and yes there's dark but the light drives the thing most of the time right Mm
2: -hmm. right I, i love the way you worded it we as artists have to Take care of our audience we and, have to. And, and hold them. We um, must. and it's not always going to be like you said light in these stories. It's not always going to be an easy, no. easy to go to a play and get confronted with a, a story like Dutch Kings. Yeah, but it, it's a balance because there's necessary mm-hmm. dark and c- confronting themes, but yeah. there's also things where we have to. Protect people in the audience that mm-hmm. yeah. may be s- more sensitive to a certain topic, mm-hmm. or even a certain yeah. light or sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing that comes mm-hmm. with telling a story's intent—that's
0: always mm-hmm. a word yeah. that yeah. bounces back and forth. Intent, like, what does that mean? Oh, yeah. okay. So let's use a soldier's play as example mm-hmm. with. Just because your intent is to tell the stories of African-American soldiers during this time, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that <laughs> you have the right to scare or harm the people you're bringing in. Like, your intention has mm-hmm. yeah. to be to teach them, but to teach them yeah. in a way where they can leave mm-hmm. the theater a higher in a higher place than they were coming in.
1: It's true. And there's, I mean, there's so many things that go into that as well. Theaters in New York, a lot of theaters in New York, specifically Broadway theaters, have very specific identities for the types of plays they like to put on, the people that they want to be in those audiences, and just the stories that they want to tell. And so it's really, it's, identified with those spaces, that that would be something that that space would do. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, there's a lot of funky things in there. (laughs) Right? Uh,
2: What do you think the, right now especially, Mm -hmm. what do you think the responsibility of a playwright is in this new world we're we're finding ourselves in?
0: If it's changed within the past Mm. six, nine months, if it hasn't,
2: uh, yeah. Like a playwright specifically, because mm-hmm. I read your work and I, I go, "Yeah, this is meant for the stage." I mm-hmm. can't see a movie of of these characters or, or this mm-hmm. story.
1: Yeah, uh, be a sponge. Mm. Be a sponge. Be a sponge. Soak up these times. I went on a writing hiatus for <sighs> the last couple of months, and it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> It was because I was stuck in my house, in my parents' house in Long Island. No movement, no activity, no nothing. There were no plans. There were no theaters. There were no actors. There were no rehearsal rooms. There was nothing keeping the rhythm. Yeah. And where do you draw from when you can't keep the rhythm is something that I'm always constantly trying to figure out. And so... I say, you know what? If I can't write, I won't write. (laughs) That's it. And it took me a while to get to that place. Let me just put it that way. I went from writing almost 30, 40, sometimes 50 pages a week to writing nothing. That's weird. (laughs) And it feels abnormal. It's very strange. And it's very strange to be a creative in a time where you can't produce work that you think is valuable or anything like that. So I took a break and I say, you know what? Instead of fighting against the grain of trying to get back to normal, whatever that even means, I need to pick up what I'm gonna pick up right now. And if not for these times Would I be learning or would I be as vulnerable or open as I am currently without what's all going on in the world? And I could say confidently that that's a no, I would not be. If not for the necessary pause, then would we even be primed to hear work like Dutch Kings? Probably not. If not for all of the crazy, A lot of things have happened this year. I don't discount those things. But at the same time, we're in a space of transition. And I think as playwrights, as a writer myself, I can only speak for myself. (laughs) Being able to absorb all of the crazy, the news, the media, the social media, the this, the that, the meditation, the quiet, the isolation, the you know what I'm saying? All of those things are going to inform what I'm writing Mm -hmm. whenever I can write again. I'm writing now. But like I'm saying that what can you get now that you're never going to get again in your life?
0: As we... (laughs) I hate to say this, but we're almost at time. I just want to say, like, I know, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I just want to like leave with this. Um, Lin Manuel Miranda said a tweet Mm -hmm. a couple years ago where he said, "Whenever I have the chance to see a new play, Mm -hmm. see art in any way, shape, or form, you take it. You just have to take it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether it be like a live, you know, Mm -hmm. Zoom show that you're doing, I take." your s- scheduled week. Mm-hmm. But if you know there's a play coming out, like see it and yeah. see what could happen see what's and see up. what you can learn. Yeah. And I feel like those are ways where, you know, little by little, bit yeah. by bit, mm-hmm. we can start addre- being more comfortable with addressing Absolutely. certain issues that...
2: Be a sponge. I love that. Be a, Be a sponge.
1: Be a sponge. And the thing is too, I would also offer to any people that are missing theater, um, make a list of all the things that you require for theater to happen. Uh, mm. I did that. And it's very funny how none of those things have to do with a stage. (laughs) That is where we're going. Mm. (laughs) That's where we're going. Because Broadway is shut down. That's not the goal anymore. There has to be something bigger and better and more exciting and more fantastical than just being in a dark stage space yeah so. let's
2: find the new ways yeah yeah well mm-hmm. kristen we
0: want to say thank you
1: thank you, thank you for, having you for me. on
0: this rainy day this is so
1: cool yeah
0: yeah to bring some light to yeah. everybody else this was dope i exactly. really love this all right uh do you have so you said you're writing now is there anything else you want to share like anything you got coming up or well, you can give your also oh, social media out for everybody yeah who sure um, yeah
1: my Facebook page is Kristen Spencer. That's it. Um, and my Instagram page is Miss M-I-S-S Chris K-R-I-S underscore underscore. Um, as far as things coming out, there is a lot of things up in the air right now. Of but um, the <laughs> thing that's concrete and on the ground is my thesis <laughs> coming out in potentially May. Early June next year, Uh, it's called Two A Two A Slash Girls. um, Oh God, I'm saying the wrong title of things. I'm mixing titles. Two by two. I think I. I No, no. It's called Two A Two Two A Slash Songs that Black girls sing on swings when no one is watching. It is a choreo play, and hopefully, it will be touring at public city schools in harlem rather than just being in a space because it takes place on a playground right so it just makes sense
0: yeah all right well, we look forward to seeing you. also congratulations on
2: graduating
1: thank you yep. and
0: we wish you the best yeah thank you so, so much yeah,
2: much love yeah thank you for coming in thank, thank you. you all right also, people
0: that's our time <laughs> we hope you enjoyed our first episode of through the mic i'm your host malcolm calendar
2: I'm Will Freund, and we will see you at the next episode. Again, yeah, take
0: care. <laughs> Live, love, laugh, guys. Peace out. Peace. You done? Yep. All right. <laughs> and that's all we she wrote. Know, hopefully he yeah. lets us
2: uh, read the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could still... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So if you could, uh, Kristen, yeah. uh, just read the prologue. Sure. I guess we're going to do, yeah. Sure, sure,
1: sure. Lights up on Ishmael. He is dressed in a green sweatsuit. He addresses the audience larger than life. We played in the sandbox. And when I say sandbox, I really mean the PS 15 playground. And by playground, I mean one broken swing. We liked because of the sound it made when we tug at the chains and one set of monkey bars. But we were cool real cool, out there on that sandbox all day making music, vibing, jamming, oh, we was jamming for sure, Nas would beatbox under his breath, low and dirty, if it had a smell, it would be used cigarillos on a street corner, Brian would spit poetics about shit we would never talk about outside of that playground, I would shake those chains, the girls across the lot dutching the tick, 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 tick of the ropes, keeping us on rhythm, And Kenny, Kenny would drive his fists in the turf, making what the old folks would call a what you know about that beat. You too young to know anything about that (laughs) beat. And we would clown because they act like it was all a big secret. But we already knew we was conceived off of those dusty ass records and cassette tapes in their closets. Nasty. Wasn't no secret at all. (laughs) Where else they think we got it from? Or, or, or maybe I can assume They've been trying so damn hard to give us something different, something new, but new is old and old is familiar. Old is timeless. And no matter how hard we try to undo it, redo it, spin it, flip it, remix it, it's all the same. You know how this ends. This is a tragedy, a tragedy, (laughs) Fallen kings and continued reigns, conquering territory, the gods, the haves and the have nots, an anti hero's journey. Uh huh. I could get down with the classics. How motherfucking Shakespearean. How motherfucking Greek of me. <laughs> Ain't nothing new about any of this shit, but yet here we are. Here you are, doing the runaround yet again. That Oedipus and Romeo and Macbeth, all them crazies, those fools were scared straight. Fear somebody's screwing them for their throne, their woman, their title, their honor. The list goes on. (laughs) Fear makes you do some wild things. To the point that sometimes just the idea of something happening can force you into a frenzy of stuff that you can't take back. No matter how hard we try to undo it, redo it, spin it, flip it, remix it. I just hope, I mean, for real, I I just hope that y'all treat us with the same respect that you'd give any Hamlet, Othello, Romeo. Y'all give a lot of leeway to some handsome murderers and crazed lovers and somebody's jealous son. But I assume that that's because y'all all all know to some degree they started out as scared little boys. Fear makes you do some wild things. But that's why you're here, right? (laughs) To see it all unravel, are you scared? Welcome to my world. (laughs) At PS15, us, us boys, we were cool, real cool. The beat of those chains and the tick, 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 tick of those ropes told us so.